0: Avodati, we are on page Yud-Bet in the introduction of Rabbi Yosef Kapach to the Mishneh Torah. In the middle of the page there is the word Avodati, my work. This is Rav Kapach and his uh, explanation of what it is that he has been working on in this Mishneh Torah. Avodah zo asher al sifro ze shel Rabenu. This work that I have done on the book of Rabenu the Kvar alta shanim rabot. It already entered my heart many years ago, bioti abot od when I was younger. Leken hayisuk hamimushach v'amatemid b'sefar yadah hazaka'im tibbur l'mdim. As I continued to teach and learn the book yadah hazaka, the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, with the students, biroti tsorech la'avodah menzo. When I saw that there was a need for this kind of work, kedelatet le'mayen et melohev sharut la'avonat ibar rabino alofnam. I wanted to allow the readers of the Rambam the ability to learn the Rambam's words properly, correctly. mainly, mainly was the drive that I was inspired by my grandfather and my father in their search for handwritten manuscripts. And they didn't waste. They were not afraid of wasting time or money or any efforts to get even half manuscripts, let alone whole manuscripts. And even some small pages, single pages. And they paid with full money for those pages. And they paid people to get one page or even half a page of the writings of the Rambam aside from the search that they themselves searched in the writings of the Ramba, in the different gnizoth, in the different uh, burial sites. So there are a few places where you can hide manuscripts, correct? We mentioned the cemeteries earlier on. We also mentioned that in a synagogue in a Bet Knesset, you'd have an attic or a basement or a, a, a cabinet or somewhere that they just keep all the old stuff. And he would pay people, the grandfather and the father of Kapach, would pay people to go around and to look for Manuscripts in different places. And when they would find them, to pay full money for them. Like I explained in the introduction to the commentary of the Mishnah, for one of our early rabbis in Yemen, which is attributed to Rabbi Natan, who is the founder of the Yeshiva. And that has been printed in the certain type of Mishnayot. Come, come, sit, sit, Chava. We'll make room. Or in a Chava, you fit right there. do we be shy. Read two chairs. Yeah, there you go. And some of the documents, some of the the manuscripts that my grandfather and my father collected are still in my possession. And he adds here in brackets something very tragic. Aside from what was stolen from me, when my books came from Yemen to Israel, not only a little bit has been stolen, like I mentioned in my introduction to Moen Vukhin, if I'm not mistaken, there were thieves who later on discovered, of uh, Kapach put out, I remember once was reading in one of the articles, one of the articles, I don't remember where, maybe from his granddaughter, that he put out requests that people who stole from him should just give him back the manuscripts, everything else he could keep. And some people would uh, sell him back his own manuscripts that were stolen from him you know, and here I know I'm being recorded so I'll be very careful how I'm going to say what I'll say. I don't even know how careful I need to be. Much of, much of what was done to Jews of Sephardic and Yemenite origin in the early years of the State of Israel was perpetuated by the establishment if it was the State of Israel, if it was the different organizations attached to the State of Israel, if it was the rabbinic organizations that were involved in the founding of the State of Israel, each of them to a different degree and to a different extent. For many years when you would speak about these things in Israel, it was illegal. Because Israel doesn't have laws that free speech. You don't, you can't, don't have freedom of speech in the State of Israel. There's limitations to what you're allowed to speak about, especially on public air. Uh, those of you who are blind supporters should reconsider your stances. Because if you want to support Israel, you'll support Israel to become a free country. Uh, And I'm saying that from a place of of a religious Zionist. Because our religion would demand such a thing from a people who are supporting such a country. What for many years was illegal to speak about, then became mocked. And you were considered a conspiracy theorist. If you were to talk about the kidnapped children of Yemen, or the kidnapped children of uh, Tehran, or of Morocco, or even of Germany in the early years of the State of Israel. And when you would speak about organizations like WIZO or the World Zionist Organization or Hadassah or their involvement in this uh, this whole scheme, they would look at you like, you might as well talk about how America never made it to the moon. It's a similar vein. In, in fact, you'd be mocked, especially in more academic circles and more uh, you know uh, famous circles in Israel. Until, lo and behold, just a few years ago, some of the last politicians involved in this uh, parasha and this story They died, and all of a sudden, thousands and thousands and thousands of files were opened up, half of which are still censored. So key names are still blacked out, and they're they're censored editions that have been let out. Just on Thursday, I received a book from Israel uh, with a list of names and family names and social security numbers of some hospitals of which they were kidnapped, of 2,050 children that we have proof of that we're kidnapped by the founders of the State of Israel and by the organizations attached to them it's not it's not the number that is out there but it's a number that we can prove today that there's not a shadow of a doubt that it happened that we know where it happened we know what day it happened on we know which doctors were involved we know which prime ministers knew and didn't know When I was in Yerushalayim three summers ago for a rabbinic convention, so we met researchers. So this was their task. They were researching things that until then had been illegal to research in Israel. You don't want to know everything. that I said, be careful. What I'm telling you now is only the tip of the iceberg because I don't want to be from those that support anti-Israel agendas in the world. Aside from the kidnapping of children, the scientific and medical experimentation on children, on women, people who were killed in Israeli hospitals as guinea pigs for scientific research. In the word of one of the survivors that I spoke to personally from Iraq, she said, how can it be that people who survived the Holocaust did to us, their brothers and sisters, what they did to them in the Holocaust. Part of this entire agenda, because you have to ask, so what were your intentions? you know, what were you trying to accomplish? And some of the early pioneers said very clearly, listen, we see what it's like for these primitive people to come from all these backward countries. And they have so many children that they don't know how to take care of. They don't know how to feed, they don't know how to clothe them, they don't know how to educate them properly. So we're helping them out. You know, one child will take them away from his parents and we'll put them in a good family's home. A family that needs a child, that can take care of a child, resources to take care of, which for the better... the good of this child. That attitude didn't just end when it came to people. Didn't end when it came to people's children. It continued into these handwritten manuscripts that we had been holding onto for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Any of you know anything about the Aleppo Codex? The Keta Amsoba? Now I'm not going to lie to you that I'm certain that there are some Syrian Jews involved in that story as well wasn't just all the fault of those people in Israel. But there were books that we managed to take care of for 800 years in those primitive, uneducated, backwards countries. Books that we wrote, by the way. All of a sudden we come to Israel and government organizations, museums, all kinds of institutions take those manuscripts away for the sake of preserving them because they are national Jewish treasures that should be preserved by national Jewish institutions the same way the Vatican took away many Jewish books throughout history in order to preserve them as they were exterminating the Jews. And some of those books that they took away to preserve were lost, were stolen, were sold into private collections, fell apart under their own supervision. You're talking about single manuscripts that only one copy exists in the whole world. And that wasn't a camera. I'll let you know which of your favorite presidents of Israel was responsible for the pillaging of Jewish manuscripts from Sephardic countries. President, I didn't say president, president, famous president. Some of the manuscripts we found later on in the private collection of a certain chief rabbi of the state of Israel. Don't worry, he got his cut also. Yosef Kapach comes to Israel only to find out that somebody, I don't know who, stole his manuscripts. And what he gives us is from what he has left. So you can imagine what he would have given us if he had more. <laughs> So I'm going to copy here one of the letters from the handwriting of my grandfather and my father who sent Shlichi messengers to go and look for writings of the Rambam. So someone will give me that year in Hebrew. Tafresh Yeah, that's nineteen seventeen, or eighteen. <clears throat> so in Tavreish Einchet, that's all, uh, over a hundred years ago. Yeah, the bullshit, the revolution. Mm. Very good. Mm. Another side of the world. Hishnat Beit L'shtarot. What is the counting of shtarot? There's two ways to count the Jewish calendar. Yes, you count from the time of the creation of the world or you count using the count of when you sign documents. You know what I'm talking about? You heard about it once. The Yemenites are the only Jews who still do such a thing. in Talmudic times, when we sign letters, uh, we sign legal contracts, you don't use from the creation of the world. There's a special counting system, a special calendar system that we use. In Yemen it was the last place they used it, and he records both because he knows that people like us don't know how to calculate the other one. One of the students, Rabbi Rafael, went out to a small village, he went out there for therapeutic reasons. And in that village it was known that there were old uh, Gnizot, old burial sites of Jewish uh, Jewish manuscripts. And my grandfather wrote a letter to him saying you should hire a worker, you should open up all those old burial sites. You should collect anything he finds from the writings of the Rambam. He said, And I have a letter translated into Hebrew from the, the, the son of this man, Rabbi Raphael, that went out to go look for the letters. Here's the letter. It's a t- typed up version of the letter you see on the left side of the page. So left side of the page you have a manuscript. The right side is typed up. Yom Bet, Zain Tammuz, and then has the date of the calendar year. So Zain Tamuz, this is uh, the summer. Yes. Shalom Lecha, hello to you, Shalom Mozha, and hello to you, the helper, I didenu Rafael ben I Ansari Sari, Hashem Yelkim Al Shadal. Ribi Rafael, the son of Yche, may Hashem increase your years of your life. and from all kinds of tragedy and disaster he should save you. Vishlach l'orif uash leman. He should send him a speedy recovery. Amen kani razon. Achar rishat shalom. After sending my regards, nodiya lechayad idin. I'm notifying you, my friend. Kibach hamicha that your father-in-law came veamar and he told you shamar salim chalaf. This man, salim chalaf, that's whoa memuna al betakneset shosham magnizot. He was the caretaker of the synagogue where the manuscripts were in. Shiftach at the that he should open up the the places where they hide the manuscripts, the old worn-out books. V'ikach ma shirtei he should take whatever he wants. V'echziras ti agnizot gnezot k'vishiu as long as he puts back the seal on those cabinets or whatever they were like they were originally. Ve'lechen atatis chodel b'davar please do what you can. Ve'leket ma sh'tim tzah medapei ha mishnah be'aravit ve'achibur k'tavian anything you find in the Arabic commentary of the Mishnah, the translations of the manuscripts of the Rambam and handwriting. And pay whoever it will be to seal off these, uh, these, uh, the whatever you would call them, vaults or clay jugs or cabinets, Wherever they kept them in. He said, give us a receipt, how much it costs you, we will pay the entire sum to your father-in-law here. It doesn't make a difference how much it will be. How much is it going to cost? Don't be lazy. the Mishiftach, pay somebody to open it. And you collect the pages. However they are. Even if they're ripped pages. Said, Please don't be stingy. Don't care about how much it's going to cost to open or close or to seal it off again with plaster. At a call we'll will pay you immediately. we'll pay your father in law, may Hashem blessed be he. Yamid may he take you out of your sickness. and he should heal your illness, speedily. and he should be there to assist you. and he should bless your sustenance, and then he says here, ומאתיר באתך הטרת החיים והשלום, he says this is a person, but I, think, I think Dashu stands for Doresh Shlomcha וטוב he who uh, seeks your good and your blessing. Or we sign that in letters. We sign to a friend, how do you sign a letter? Sincerely. What does it mean sincerely? Write a letter, give someone a ברכה eh. אין. הדורש יוסיך I who seek and pray for your well-being my whole life, Achicha your younger brother, your dear friend, write something like a like a human being writes another human being. All the best, it's all the best. Give somebody a blessing like a human being gives somebody a blessing. If you wanted to speak with a wall, you go speak to the wall. When you write to people with their charetz. Hamatir badcha, someone who's always praying for you, for life and for peace. This is the grandfather of Ubi Yosef kapach. Bishulei ha and you'll see, look at the photocopy here. On the bottom of the letter, there's a second paragraph. This is an addition from Rav kapach's father, so the son of the grandfather. Bishulei Yosef Aviza zarez the My father added his own notes to the letter, so, you know, to encourage the, the messenger. Do me a favor. Even if you find ripped pages from the Mishnah, don't leave them behind. Send them. Even a half a page or a quarter of a page. Don't say, yeah, it's not important. It's important. Maybe over there we're going to find one letter different than the manuscripts we have and then we'll be able to fix things. It's Everything is important. He said aside from the two areas that are sealed off and you have to open them and close them go look under the Aaron Kodesh. like we have a cabinet here you open this up top there's Torah what's underneath here? Only those of you who pray here know what's in here people keep Talitot there's some stenders in there some old papers in there Couple couple of pillows in there there's some people's car keys in there whatever you need in there is in there Everybody should move their keys out. That's on camera. Yeah. The, <laughs> as long as there's no <laughs> there are all kinds of things in there. The Beda Knesset, this place is going to be in a hundred years what's inside of those pictures. He said, don't just look inside of the vaults. Go look under there too. Maybe you'll find something. And, and work very hard. And please, don't be discouraged by the dirt and the dust. Even pay somebody to go and take the papers out for you. Please, don't be lazy in this matter. He said, "You're already there, so do this mitzvah." may there be peace to you, David. Sign, David. So clearly they did. Clearly they did, and they used their money for this purpose. You know, somebody was in my house a long time ago. I was wondering, why do you have so many books? Why do like you have so much money? Why do you have so many books? Yeah, I well, listen, I don't get into your bank account. Don't get into mine. But we'll, we'll talk about that, books. Books are expensive. When I first came to America as a rabbi, I, someone asked me a question on halacha. My books were still in transit from, from Israel to San Diego in the sea, uh, on a boat from Israel, 12 boxes of which some of them got lost somewhere in the middle of the ocean. I got someone else's boxes of Korean books uh, with my name on it. All kinds of things got mixed up over there. I think now that might be a little scarier than it was then. But it was um, it was what it was. Some of my books didn't make it. Some were making it slowly as uh, as time Still progressed. Progress. But I got asked a halakha question. I had to go look for a shukhan ruh. At the time where I was in the B'de Knesset, there was no shukhan ruh. In the other Bidu Knesset, near where I was, there was no shukhan when I went, called up a few rabbis. If they have a shukhan ruh, they don't have a shukhan ruh. Now listen, I know to, there's internet versions of the Shulchan but you know when you open up Shulchan you remember where things are written. You have to look for commentaries. Every commentary I want, I have to go find another PDF of it and scroll to you know find the right page. It's on a computer, and I'm trying to write a teshuvah. I'm trying to write a halachic response, and it's not working. I, I just can't find all the sources. So I was in LA. I was in LA, and I went to a bookstore. There's a guy there in LA sells books, not like the bookstores that other people have. He sells books uh, straight from Israel. He orders them in big pallets from Israel. The kind of books that I would buy if I was in Israel. Okay, at a higher rate, but they're there. And then walking into the store, I said, how much is your best set of Shulchan $650. $650? If I would tell you how much of my salary that was, you want to know. <laughs> $650. So I looked at my biggest donor, and I said, Vori, um, and... <laughs> are you okay with spending $650? <laughs> and uh, she said, you need a Shulchan Aruch? Of course. And my dad was there because he would drive me and He said, "Young, $600 for a Shulchan Are you crazy? And I said, Abba, I need the set. He said, but that's a lot of money. I said, Abba, I need a Shulchan Aruch. He said, okay, so get another one. I said, you're, you're in computers, no? Imagine how it's like for you to work without a computer. Imagine how much money you would pay to get a computer. Imagine if I told you, instead of buying a computer at a computer store, you should go to Walmart and buy a, a Chromebook over there in the store and get all your uh, engineering done over there. It would work for you? No. I need the best Shulchan Aruch. I'm not a computer programmer. I'm a rabbi. I need a Shulchan Aruch. And I bought a Shulchan Aruch. And until today, that's the Shulchan Aruch I use. My other one came from Israel. So now I have two sets of Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> when someone donated to me personally a Shulchan Aruch, I donated to the Better and I said, now we have two Shulchan Aruch. In fact, now we have four, That <laughs> There should not be a shortage of Shulchan I'll tell you, actually, it, I believe it was his sometime recently. Uh, the only person who had a Shulchan in this neighborhood, I later found out, Adav Shalom, was Eli Khan. He was part of our kola for many years. Eli Khan had a Shulchan His son had studied to be a rabbi and he left the Shulchan with his father. And that's where I would go sometimes to get a Shulchan uh, But I needed a uh, Shulchan and I needed one with a tool and a bit of Yosef and uh, things that weren't... Uh, Word tonight that version. So I explained to this person who was saying, how much money could you spend on books? Let me explain to you. When you go to a restaurant, you go to a restaurant for dinner, you take your wife, you take your kids, you take your husband, whatever, you go for a restaurant. How much does it cost you in a nice restaurant in Los Angeles? Don't be shy. You go on a how vacation. People. I'm just, two people. How much does it cost you? 80 bucks. I uh, I'm, eating, I'm eating where Zev eats. <laughs> 150 bucks easy you could spend? Yeah, easy. Correct? Let me ask you. Go, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> you look at your bill of how much money you spend in coffee bean or Starbucks. Listen, if you would pay me $12 a day to make your coffee, I'd make you coffee too. <laughs> I'd even burn it for you like Starbucks does. <laughs> Think, add it up. $7 a day? $7 times 30. Okay, now you show me Shabbat, so, so you take off four days, you got a discount. To how much money you spend on coffee. Think about like, your grocery shop. How much of your grocery shop is perishable? Calculate all that you use, all that you eat, all that you cook, all that you throw away in the trash when you go in the next week in your grocery shop. All that money that you spend, a few hundred dollars, you go to the restaurant, $150, I don't mean to say anything embarrassing. A few hours later, you're in the bathroom, all of the food is gone your $150 are gone. You got some weight, some cholesterol, some fatty liver, some uh, 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 future stent, and, and that's it. That's all you got from the food that you got. Experience. After, after a few hours, your money's gone. You know how many books sure, I could buy for $150 that are never gone? Books that I bought when I was 14 years old in Ishiva and I used them last night? It's an investment. Some people invest in stocks. Maybe it's a smarter investment than my books. Some people invest in uh, companies, invest in real estate, invest in... Some of us invest in books. And those books, they never go away. I tell Elchanan all the time, Khanan, if you're good... I once came into the house, and Elchanan and we're having a conversation. They didn't know I came into the house. told Abinom, you know when Abba dies, I'm going to be the rabbi. <laughs> really? And Abinam said, okay, but when you die, I'm going to be the rabbi. <laughs> and I'm listening, and I said, you know, none of you, I don't have to die for any of you to be rabbis. Okay, we can all do this together, yeah? And the stopped for him, and he said, Abba, you know, yeah, you don't have to die for me to be a rabbi. I want to be a rabbi that's smarter than you. So I want to be a rabbi of rabbis. Wow. Like Rabbi Peretz. That's what he said. Oh. I said, oh, that's, I did, we did good with this one. <laughs> I said, You know, like uh, like the lion king. See all this land in the front of you? All these books you see on the bookshelf? You didn't get toys instead of guy you Shulchan Aruch? Uh, one day they'll be yours also. Either you'll be at Tami Chacham, you'll be really happy with me, or you won't, or you're going to hate me that I invested all of your life savings into books. Different people have priorities on what is important to them for some people vacationing is important they go for 10 days they spend thousands of dollars on airplane tickets on hotels, on on resorts, on food, on drinks somebody once told me he goes to a bar how much money you spend in a bar? the same bottle you pay for in the liquor store $3 over there they charge you $28 I was once uh, doing a hashgacha for a wedding and they brought their own kosher wine and the hotel still charged them a $40 right. cork right. fee. Right. They, they count the corks. They, we weren't to open the wine. They had to open the wine. They count the corks, $40 a bottle. Oh. So they buy the wine. Yeah, these people, were money was not a problem. Think about all the books you could have bought. How many shulchan you could have bought with the wine over there? Different people invest in different things. The Kapach family invested in handwritten manuscripts. For them, that was important. Because of that, they were able to give the Jewish people what nobody else was able to give the Jewish people. When everybody else was investing in borekas, or investing in gefilte fish, or investing in... They invested in books. Not just any books, but the books you couldn't find somewhere else. Then when you invest in things, you want to ask yourself, am I investing in something that's proprietary? Just like any investor would do. Am I investing in something that's special, that's unique, or am I investing in something everybody else invests in? When you buy things... Just recently... I was studying a, a book and I wanted to buy one, same copy of the book for one of my friends. Why? Because we had a conversation. It led me to this book. I bought this book years ago. I'll tell you what you, I bought it in 2008. I remember the bookstore I bought it. little hole in the wall in Mash Ali. I bought the book. And now, this month or two months ago, I wanted to buy a copy of this book for Rabbi Ben Zaken in Los Angeles. We were having a conversation. I wanted to buy him a copy. I called my book guy and he started laughing what's so funny, I, I mean, it's just expensive, I'll, I'll pay money for it, what's the problem? He says, <laughs> this book was in print for three months. They printed it. The children of the of the printer, of the, of the author, filed a lawsuit. They don't want this book printed. They got rid of all the manuscripts from the shelves. The book has not seen the light of day since 2008. I had just happened to be walking through a bookstore. I saw a book, it looked interesting, I bought it. I can't even buy another copy for somebody else. Depends what you invest in. I had no idea but I paid like $10 for the book, $11 for the book. Today I'm grateful for that. When you choose, what am I leaving behind for Amnesty? The things that I involve myself in, the projects I take on in my life. Am I doing things that everybody else is also doing? How many people are saving this, or helping that? Or are do- a lot of people to do those jobs. And how many people are doing things that nobody else could do if it wasn't for them? You may be doing a lot of good in the world, but are you utilizing the unique good that only you can do? Can you say, hey, when I see the last name, Kappa, I know this is the family that single-handedly saved the Rambam. Can you say that about yourself? And if you can't, you should. I hope we all can. I have to ask a question. Sure. I mean, I believe that they did incredible work in saving the true writings of the Rambam but then what's the other Mishnah Torah we have based on if it took that to save his writing? So, you know, the Kapach family didn't just save the There are a number of books that are printed from the Kapach family that we don't have one other copy. Not even the Vatican has a copy of it. Like the writings of the Ritba. Only because of them we have a copy of that book. There are some writings he referred to of the Rosh Shiva from Yemen, the early commenters of the Mishnah. We only have a copy because of them. The Rambam, you're right. We have an edited version of the Rambam, meaning a corrected version of the Rambam because of them. Uh, I was echoing the words of Rabbi Vali Yosef Rabbi when he said they were the Go'alei HaRambam, the Redeemers of the Rambam. I think it's, it's fair to give them that. What is the Mishnah we have? Remember we said before, the Mishnah Torah is a printed Mishnah It's like any other printed book. It's a... Uh, it's censored and... Mista- it's not even intentional. A lot of it is just mistakes. Mistakes. How, how, over generations, one mistake distorts something much greater over time. Last week's show was small deviances lead right. to large gaps. It's always that. what you deviate from. Now, I was on speaking with somebody about dating. He really liked this girl, but him and her, they had some differences. Everybody has differences. What do you have to figure out are the differences between you and her, or you and him? Are they differences that are always going to stay the same, or do they just drift farther apart? Imagine you're in the airport. You meet a really nice person in the in the airport gate waiting area, and you're talking. You're talking. Wow, I really, I wish I could spend the rest of my life with this person I met at the airport. Pretend, in- indulge me. And then you realize that where she's going to gate forty six, you're going to get forty five. They're flying to South Africa, and you're flying to Canada. And it doesn't make a difference how much you want to continue talking. At the end of the day, both of you are going to get in different airplanes and you can't continue this conversation until you get to the other side of the world. Sometimes in life, you think that right now we're sitting right next to each other, so it looks the same. But we're not thinking 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road. When we continue on the path we're going, how far apart are we going to be then? What does Chachamim say? Chacham enav b'rosho. A wise person has eyes in his head. Where else do you have eyes? Picasso had eyes in other places, but <laughs> where, 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 where else do you have eyes? you have eyes in your head, who is a chacham, the Mishnah says, who is a chacham, he who sees what will be born, meaning, will see the end result of something that has not yet been born yet, great thinkers, great philosophers, great scholars, are not the people who were, And you know my wife was telling me today, "What you read the book of Yichazkel, what makes Yichazkel a prophet? That something that was written 2,000 years ago, is happening now, that makes somebody a prophet. It's prophetic. It's not, you read sometimes the writings of a person and you wonder, wow, when he wrote that for a long time ago because I want to read that out loud ever again. And other people, you read their writings, wow. I wonder if anybody in his generation even understood what he was talking about. There are things that Rav Uziel writes about, Rav Kuk writes about. And I wonder, when he was speaking about this, did anybody who was sitting next to him even understand what he was talking about? The PSS in the Rebbe has a beautiful book on education, an introduction on educating children the struggles of children in Jewish schools. And it makes you wonder if the Piachetzer Rebbe wasn't murdered in the Holocaust, but if he lived in 2020 and wrote this book now for kids going to the regular day school in the yeshiva system. Because the same, or the same problems that were always are. But I can't imagine the little kid in the shtetl in Poland was struggling with the things that he's saying people are struggling with. Let's do one more paragraph together. and yeah, not even a paragraph, two sentences. We read this one together. Uh, when we first started. Mm-hmm. The next page, page, you've done it. I brought I, the photocopy. I mean, I included the photocopy in my book. Because the haters have not yet died. There are still datan and aviram in the world. <laughs> that have no cloak of shame over their face. With a with a brazen forehead, with a brazen forehead, it's a quote from Mishael chapter forty-five. He says to a mother, to a father, "Who have you given birth to?" To a woman, "Who are you?" This this idea of what you have is not really yours. There's a, there are people who doubt the things that even you know. There's this concept called gaslighting. You've heard of it? When someone makes you feel like you're crazy for something that you know is true. If you're married, you know I'm it. bad. <laughs> well, this this idea this idea of you know that this manuscript is from Yemen. You know it's real. You know it's authentic. And there are people that are like, ah, no, nah, it's not. It's, you made it up. Like that rabbi we read in that letter in the first few. He says, the only thing Rav Kapach had in a manuscript was his dreams. He was dreaming when he wrote these books. How dare you write studying for a person who really has manuscripts? Now, because I know there are people going to say that this letter never happened. I printed how I printed because I needed to include this in the book. I needed people to know that my grandparents paid money for these books. That they actually had manuscripts. They didn't raid the synagogues. They didn't they, this was part of what they did in order to collect manuscripts. The last shem tomorrow, we're going to continue a little more understanding the Mishnah Torah, understanding. An example we've been mentioning about discrepancies between the old Mishnah Torah and the current Mishnah Torah, and what is it? How could one word really make such a big difference? Tomorrow you're going to see an example. How one word? So many scholars tried to answer how there's this discrepancy in the Amma until a Yemenite manuscript comes along and says there's no discrepancy in the Amma. You have a misprint, and that's why you're working so hard to try to answer the Amma. God willing, that's for tomorrow night.